You're listening to Impact Insights, a communications podcast by the Impact Agency. Hi, I'm Nicole Webb. I'm the CEO of the Impact Agency. And I have my trusty sidekick, Francis Dwyer, who's my general manager at, um, at the Impact Agency. And we decided we yab on for so long, so often, that we decided we would record our conversations and, and share them with whoever is out there and wants to listen to us. So, hi, Francis. Hi, Nicole. It's nice to be chatting with you. It's something, gee, we only do several times a day. So at least now, <laughs> hopefully there's going to be some kind of proof that we have interesting things to say about the lives we lead, both professionally and personally, and our observations of um, the world from a communications perspective, brands, organizations, media, social media. But look, we can't promise we're going to stay on topic, can we? <laughs> no, we can't. <laughs> we never do. <laughs> we always solve the world's problems over a, um, a cup, of, cup of tea or a cup of coffee while we're having our management meetings. So um, Absolutely. We might as well record ourselves while we're doing it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, I so think we're doing it virtually yeah. today, aren't we? Yeah, and, and I virtual guess that's, that, that brings us to um, the start of what um, we wanted to talk about today is how's it going working from home? We've been at home since, was it mid-March? Mm, yeah, this is week 12 for me. I think I went one week earlier because my eldest son was not very well. So, um, yeah, week 12 from working from home, but only week three of working from home without children. So Woo-hoo! I feel like I'm in a new phase. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot quieter without them around, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah, I think uh, early in the Early in the process, um, once we all got past the initial sort of shock and panic, um, I had a very different experience from what I was hearing and reading and watching of others' experiences where people were talking about crocheting and banana bread baking and sourdough starters and taking up hobbies. And I was thinking about the five minutes that I got to myself between 10.55 and 11 p.m. each evening <laughs> before I my head hit the pillow and then I promptly became an insomniac for the next couple of hours. So, yeah, I think I was trying to wear too many hats at once like so many others. Um, but what it did make me aware of is that every single person's experience over the last 12 weeks has been quite different and not necessarily consistent. How about yourself? Yes, um, I was just going to comment on the initial um, team meetings that we would have virtually and there'd be the occasional child um, in the mm-hmm. background making noises and the, and the look on your face when we first started doing this remotely. <laughs> it was like you were going to kill them. <laughs> I know because it was just like as, a, you know, a reformed control freak, I like to call myself, um, once much worse than I am today, I just felt like I wasn't doing anything well. I felt like I was doing 10 things at once and none of them well. And um, so subsequently set up no boundaries for myself. Um, Brene Brown would have been very disappointed in me. And it was like, get all of the things done at any hour of the day, in any which way, just to get through. And then, you know, a number of weeks in, about the six week in, I realized that that was completely unsustainable and um, sort of had a bit of a reset. So I feel like I'm in like the third phase of working from home where I now have 
dedicated days of the week where it's just myself working from home home upstairs, my husband working from home downstairs, uh, and actually being able to concentrate on one thing at a time, which is I now understand why some of my colleagues have been saying they've been able to concentrate better and been able to get through the really big heavy lifting tasks um, because I have that quiet now. Hmm. It's too quiet for me. I yeah. had um, I had David at home with um, the kids. He was working from home when the when the girls were homeschooling. So I was still going into the office every day. It was only just me in the office, so I wasn't putting myself or any any of um, any of us in danger. But um, when he went back to he started a new job and the kids went back to school, there was nobody here in the mornings for the mm-hmm. kids to get them ready to go, and there was nobody here when they came home. So I decided to. Uh, move camp and and work on the dining room table here and um, I really hate it. I'm I am hanging to go back into the office. I I really need people around me to give me the energy um, and the focus that I need. Um, there's a dishwasher that needs to be packed or there's a load of washing that needs to be put yeah. on. Or, you know, there's so much that can be done when you're at home. But just the last couple of days, I've been thinking I've become a bit of a um, a maid. And I really don't want to be putting that dishwasher on every every morning or putting those clothes um, in the washing machine. So I think tomorrow I might just head back into the office and get some sanity back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, look, the only thing saving me from feeling like a maid is that my washing machine carked it on Friday. So I just have about 85 loads of dirty washing oh, in my laundry. I won't hear the beeping in the background when uh, we're nope. not a meeting anymore. <laughs> nope. And I'm considering whether I buy undies before I buy a new washing machine. We're at that point in the next 24 hours, I think. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. So, um, I, I just yeah. wanted to touch on what you were talking about there about that energy. Um, look, it's no secret that we're both extroverts. And on that particular front, I really, really struggled in the first part and probably have only in the last couple of weeks come out of that feeling of just not being able to get my energy from the outside world and from other people. And I remember early on preaching to couple of my girlfriends who I've known my whole life and uh, what I thought to be extroverts as well. And when I professed this to them and waited for them to join in chorus and say, yes, it's so hard. It's awful, isn't it? Don't you miss people and the buzz and the life? They went, oh, actually, I think I'm an extroverted introvert. You know, like I actually quite like the quiet in my own company and not going out and not doing anything. And I was like, what? What? Am I the only weirdo that's feeling like I'm trapped in a cage right now? <laughs> so I definitely have a yearning to see people, but I think the thing that has held me back is that it's not the same at the moment. There is still that sense of keep your distance and, um, you know, operating in a COVID safe way. And as a you know, ridiculous rule follower. I think I probably feel a little, a little bit intimidated by how relaxed everybody's become so quickly in the last little while as restrictions are starting to ease. It's both comforting and a little overwhelming at the same time. And I know even you who was like, let me out of the house, have had your own reservations about reintegrating. Well, that's right. And moving into that next phase. And I so yeah, I started looking into that and, um, 
Dr. Kimberly Norris, who's a clinical psychologist um, on extreme polar confinement and reintegration, she says reintegration, which is the phase we're in now coming out of isolation, um, she said it can take several months and it can take a year or more for the poor Antarctic workers to reintegrate and, and adjust from isolation. So, you know, because we've been in isolation from one another, our frame of references and our experiences are slightly different and we have to develop those shared experiences all over again. Um, we start questioning our relationships um, mm. and, and, and not only personally but also with um, our providers, our suppliers, our brands that, that, we, that we communicate and, um, and have in our lives. So it's, um, yeah, it's a really, really, really strange time and and you know just to just to get up and go out to the shops is you know I'd, I'd much rather just be at home now and that's not like me mm. you know I talk I talk about that I I am an, an extrovert and I want the energy from people around me but to get in the car and go to the supermarket and do a shop feels really weird yeah and and exhausting weirdly like I, yeah. I found like it's taking me a lot more energy to do things that I previously either enjoyed or were effortless. Uh, and similarly, I, I'm surprised that it's not that I don't like spending time at home. I like my me time, but I liked it as a novelty. Whereas I feel like I've had so much time at home now that I'm similar to you in that getting out the door, like getting the children out the door in the morning to school has always been a battle for most parents ever. But mm-hmm. at the moment we are so out of practice and and we're forgetting things or we're taking twice as long, even on the weekend, just to go visit a friend at a park for a play date. Uh, getting out the door took like 45 minutes. It was insane. And the thought of having to do all of that makes me go, oh, stuff it, I'll just stay at home. <laughs> so I definitely need to start challenging uh, myself, I think. But you, but I like that you've said that it can take uh, months or even up to a year, so I don't need to put the pressure on just yet. I can take my yeah, time. Yeah. She also says don't make any big decisions over the next couple of months either. So, you know, um, just start to get back into it slowly and um, and don't wipe off that you know, that friend that you hadn't seen for, for a couple of months, just just take your time, take it slowly. <laughs> you know, things are going to start to pick up, right, because the kids, there'll be soccer, soccer training, um, dance, drama, you know, footy, everything's starting to pick up. So yeah. that man, that man yeah, person in our lives. Yeah. Yeah, we received a note um, from the school uh, with all of the planned activities for next month, uh, sorry, next term. And, yeah, it's looking almost, you know, not quite identical but really similar to pre-COVID. I think the only um, item that's still on the agenda is that they're not going to have parents on the school grounds unless necessary. But other than that, everything's kicking off again um, from July. So it'll be a really interesting time. I mean, I'm thrilled and excited for our economy and for the confidence and for friends that work in hospitality and tourism and travel who've been really adversely affected um, by the restrictions. It's really exciting that those things are reopening f- uh, for them and for, for all of us more broadly. But, um, 
it's interesting because uh, one of the observations I've had recently is a number of brands obviously made the call to say something or create some kind of communications or creative in response to the pandemic. And there was the phase one communications, which we all saw and we became fatigued by the we're all in this we're, together. We were writing, and we were writing some of that, right? <laughs> we were. I know, I know. But yeah. in that first moment, that's what people needed to hear. But if you had, if you lagged, even 24 hours could mean is it was previously, you know, two weeks. Um, if you waited an extra 24 hours to put your message out, you looked like you were behind the eight ball. Like the speed to market was so important and continues to be so important. And uh, saw an ad the other day. Um, from a brand that obviously was well thought through a month and a half ago but just isn't quite striking the right chord right now. It went too hard. It went, okay, things are going to be dark and they're going to be dark for six months so we need to really lean into the empathy. We really, you know, we really need to lean into we're on hard times which are like I do not question that we are still in a challenging environment but it went so heavy that it became sappy and and uh was it can you remember the brand no it would be helpful if i could wouldn't it (laughs) but i can't i will definitely remember for our show notes i will remember um but i know you had a couple of brands that you'd observed as well i mean the main corny one and i don't like to um to bash brands um i like to celebrate the efforts that organizations make because i think our banks, for example, by and large, have been, have put out incredible packages to support businesses and individuals at this time of hardship. So, you know, they are definitely doing the do then tell approach. You know, they're, they're putting action, not just words, into what they're doing. But I have to admit that um, I feel like some of them could have pushed a bit harder. So, oh, I remembered what the brand is. Okay, so mm-hmm. the first one that's sappy and went um, – way too sappy for me was a McDonald's ad. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. It isn't hugely COVID related. It it actually is purposely more personal, but it basically tries to tie McDonald's to life events, i.e. announcing your pregnancy to your mother. It's got pickles in a Sunday. I don't know if you've seen it. It's just so bad. (laughs) It's so so bad. And I think they read the room wrong. I think they thought people are going to be nostalgic and sentimental and they're going to be leaning into, you know, personal relationships more, which those things did occur acutely. I think that they're kind of settled more now, but it's, yeah, it's really on the nose. And then the other one was, um, Combank. So Combank has an, a whole creative piece and communications around We Can. So they've obviously had Can as a key brand architecture mechanism that they've been building on for years. And so it's an identifiable um, asset for that organization. So it makes sense that they go with We Can together. Okay, that's a natural thing. But I feel like they could have pushed it further. They could have gone with We, we Can or We Should. I feel like they could have, instead of choosing to keep their own word, brand word that's of importance to them, they could have instead juxtaposed it and and, and or extended it to say, we can and we should. And it just would have felt more heartfelt. It would have felt more invested in the, the bigger picture than just another sort of link to their brand 
yeah for me yeah, I, had, I, I had a chat you know um Chris White who um advises us on on behaviors I had a chat to him about some of the brands that were doing doing well and not doing not so well and mm-hmm. and he he said um for brands to ensure they remain part of their customers' lives, um, they need to communicate their experience with COVID, open up and talk about their personal journey, how has the organisation changed and adapted, and be a storyteller more than ever. So, you know, that empathy piece that you're talking about there, that we can and we should, um, is what Chris is talking about and what brands should be doing around about now. Yeah, and I feel like there was nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with their messaging. It's really solid. It just I just feel like now is a time when we should be challenging ourselves more that it can't just be the words. It's got to it's got to marry up with the actions and I think empathy as a concept is being challenged in this environment and I think that the you know, the even more um, acute issue that our society is discussing broadly around the world is the Black Lives Matter movement, at, which has actually been around for years. And these horrors that are occurring in countries around the world where uh, minority um, groups, particularly Black and Indigenous groups, are being marginalised and, and overrepresented in, in um, crime and, and in punishment. Um, that's been happening for forever, but perhaps the, this environment that we're in of greater stress, of lower socioeconomic groups being having greater impact, and of also maybe that initial um, protectionism that that everyone sort of bolted to, and some in many countries people are very much still in that mindset of protectionism, immediately meant that we also went back to bad habits as a society, or perhaps doubled down on existing biases um, and I think that that has really given rise to this moment um, obviously there was the horrific um, footage of George Floyd that that really brought it to the fore but the reaction being so strong is because we are feeling like we're at some sort of tipping point or transition or historical moment so why not put another historical shift and change on top of that? Why not be part of a bigger change? And empathy as a concept I think is being challenged because can you be truly empathetic if you haven't, if you cannot understand, if you haven't done the work and sought to understand your the audience or the or the group or the person that you're seeking to communicate with or have you made assumptions? Have you um, taken shortcuts? Have you looked at a certain version of history or a certain set of data to decide something? So I think that that's been a big reflection for me for the work that we do, you know, which is not necessarily anything political, but just from a straight brand and brand communications and um, corporate and integrated communications perspective are we really thinking about all of the facets that we need to? Are we considering all of the diverse elements of our audiences that we're speaking to or are we just 
going for the easy shot? Are we just grabbing the most relevant information or the easiest path? And I think that as an agency, we always challenge ourselves, probably sometimes to a fault, like we could take the easy path, but sometimes I think we purposely don't because we seek a new way or greater insight. We're all research obsessed, right? We all want those insights to lead our campaigns, but it's just got me thinking differently about, yeah, sympathy versus empathy and understanding versus um, being sensitive to or aware of something. Yeah, we've been really um, passionate about um, women's rights, haven't we? Mm-hmm. That um, I think we uh, have lost sight, I think, of, you know, there's other people in the community that are a lot worse off than we are. So, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I'll, I will fight to the death of, for women's rights and you know that I will, but mm-hmm. we need to have that other lens and make sure that we are being more inclusive in, in what we do and particularly with the strategies that we put forward to our, for our clients too. That's right. I think we need to challenge each other. I think as a society, probably our biggest crutch in Australian culture is it's both it's both a beautiful thing that we have a great sense of humour, but I think it can be a great crutch when it comes to tackling big issues. And I think racism in particular, often if there is what's termed casual racism, although I don't believe it exists, but I know no, that... If you're a racist, you're a frigging racist, exactly, right? <laughs> exactly. But locally, you know, it's referred I to... Almost, as- I, I almost swore. I might have to get a special bleep noise for the (laughs) Um, but when I think about that concept the concept of what we believe to be casual racism I think that it's prolific in our society it always has been and when it's directed and someone takes offense or just bothers to mention that it isn't on, so often the rebuttal is that someone can't take a joke or that they're Mm -hmm. oversensitive. I feel like we use humour in a really dangerous way to cloud some really tricky issues and some really challenging topics in our society. So I've self-identified as anti-racist my whole life Um, probably because I don't shy away from a little confrontation if I'm in an environment where someone says something that I don't like or I find is offensive, I will just call it out where most would feel that that's probably an overplay. But I think it's important that we all kind of open up a bit more and it's not about chastising people or, um, you know, pointing the finger except for particular columnists that we might not delve into at this point in time where they definitely shouldn't be saying certain things. Um, But more broadly as a society, I think generally people don't intend to be racist. Perhaps it's a practised, I I mean, no one is born racist, right? It's a practised thing. It's a learned thing, um, whether it's consciously or subconsciously learned. So if people are, do make a joke that has a racial slur, in it however small we should unpack that we should talk about it and equally we should actively seek to challenge ourselves our clients each other to put that take a step back and consider have we thought about this from different perspectives or are we just all a different version of each other because we've all been attracted to PR and we all live in Sydney and you know we have similar lives you know we've got to make sure we actively step outside Mm. that bubble 
You used an interesting term there. You said you're anti-racist. Mm-hmm. Um, people will go around and say that I'm not racist, but it's the terminology should be I'm, I'm anti-racism, right? Yeah, and I think that that's something I've been reading a lot. It's not something that I had actively understood as a, as a concept, but the more that I've been learning and reading recently, um, I've made a conscious decision to consume as much as I can from um, Australian Aboriginal and, and First Nations people voices as well as um, black voices in America uh, and in parts of the UK and um, Europe as well to better understand the the history and the context of all of the different battles and challenges that are faced. And it's made me realise that anti-racism as in an active state is what is needed right now, that to say that you're not racist is passive and passive doesn't create change. So I I want to be an ally to anti-racism and I confidently, you know, personally as well as from a societal perspective, it's really important to me. So it's it's a it's something that I'm willing to learn and support and do what's required. But one thing I've been super conscious of is not just being another bloody privileged white woman talking about minorities. I've actually taken a real step back and sought to teach myself a lot more and hand the mic over, as they say, there's a the hand the mic over movement on um, socials at the moment. And I'm seeing gr- amazing content um, across Instagram and um, Facebook and TikTok as well from lots of Australian uh, Indigenous voices and First Nations people and, um, yeah, learning heaps. And not just the issues-related stuff like art and culture and dance and, um, yeah, all sorts and even really superfluous stuff, even just fun pop culture stuff but from a different perspective. Yeah, it's, it's teaching us a lot, isn't it? Mm. Hey, um, that's our time. Look oh, at that. See, it's we, up already. <laughs> did we solve the world's problems? Oh, look, we, we gave it a good crack. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the, the problems are pretty big at the moment. Might take more than a couple of chats to, might, to knock them off this time. <laughs> well, well, that's us from the Impact Agency. Um, you've been listening to uh, my beautiful general manager, Francis Dwyer, and myself, Nicole Webb, the CEO. And um, we look forward to you joining us next time. See you later. See ya. 